after that experience, it was a lot easier to get people, you know, in the outside world to be like, okay, you know a little bit about farming now. I guess we'll take you seriously enough to, you know, talk to you about it. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. So our guest on the podcast this week proves that you don't have to grow up on a farm to become a legit farmer and she's done really well for herself just in the short amount of time that she's been involved in the farming world she knows a ton of stuff and she has a great story to share her name is morgan holly and uh, we talk about all kinds of stuff animal welfare and taking care of workers the controversial overtime issue that's going on right now and get her perspective on that lots of stuff you're gonna enjoy the conversation this week i do want to say before we get into the the chat with Morgan. I do want to say thank you to our sponsors, Dairy Farmers of Washington, supporting Washington dairy farmers, connecting consumers to agriculture and inspiring the desire for local dairy. Also, if you're interested in learning more about where your food comes from, check out the new virtual farm tour on wadairy.org for a behind the scenes look at how dairy farmers care for their animals land and how milk gets from the farm to your table. Find out more again at wadairy.org. Also, a new sponsor this season for us, Mana Insurance Group. They help clients plan ahead, not just pick up the pieces when things go wrong. They create game plans. That ensures that their clients' financial well-being is secure. And boy, don't we know about that these days with the world changing? Uh, Mana's team is committed to partnering with you for the long haul. Mana Insurance Group has offices in Linden, Washington, where I am right now, Scottsdale, Arizona, and in San Diego, California, to serve you. So all over the place. Also, Williams, supported in part by Williams here on the podcast, serving growing markets to safely and reliably fuel the clean energy future. Doing lots of cool stuff there at Williams. We appreciate their support, as well as Washington Red Raspberries. Uh, my family is all about the Red Raspberries. That's what I grew up around, in addition to dairy farming. And so we really appreciate their support being able to do this podcast and, and talk about real farming here in Washington State. Now it is time for our conversation with Morgan Holly here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. So you went to school for like dairy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. I graduated from WSU with a, a major in animal science and my focus was d- uh, beef and dairy production. So we'll get back to what you all learned in that. Okay. But there you were at that moment. I think I remember bumping into you at maybe the dairy convention or something like that. And you were right mm-hmm. at the moment where you were looking for a job. Yep. Yep. What's that like to be in that moment? Like, I just got this degree. Now what am I going to do? So I started my college career thinking that I was going to go to vet school, like the majority of animal science majors do. Um, And then actually, I spent some time here at the dairy that we're at now between my, uh, I think it was winter break, my junior year of college. And I just really wanted to get somewhere on the feet, like in on the farm dairy experience, working on, I mean, the first thing I experience I had with dairy was on a college dairy and it's a research facility and it does not run like a normal dairy does I mean we're backed by so much extra support that you don't have in the real world so I wanted some real world support so I got really lucky in being like okay this is what I'm going to do now instead of okay yeah I want to go to vet school I don't want to sit and preg check cows all day I admire our vets for doing that but I couldn't do it I'd get too bored of that so Hmm. I ended up yeah I ended up uh, talking to the person I work for now just looking for any ideas on what I could do internship wise and whatnot so I started an internship here um, just trying to get more experience figure out what Mm -hmm. I wanted to do and ended up loving it so much that he offered me a full-time job before I actually finished my my college career. So I went into my senior year of college having a job set up and ready to go. Awesome. So that's I feel very fortunate for that. That is not common. So if you did the whole animal science become a vet thing, mm-hmm. just in a nutshell, what you like you said checking cows to see if they're pregnant? Like, what kind of stuff would you be doing all the time in that job? Again, you were saying you felt like maybe it would be kind of not as maybe, maybe not have as much variety as you wanted. Yeah, so I'm a very, 
very, uh, I guess you would say ADHD type <laughs> personality. So I need to do very different things, very broad spectrum things in yeah. order to keep my mind happy. So our vets that we employ here, you know, they're preg checking cows for us. They're doing surgeries when we need them to do surgeries. Um, they do a lot of other stuff outside of this farm, but the majority of the things that they get to do with us are difficult calvings, DAs, and preg checking animals. And I need a, just a little more variety of the things that I do uh, during the day. So, like, this morning I was checking calves up at the calf ranch. And then I spent some time working on uh, some economic stuff and business side of it. Yeah. Yeah, and then we're sitting here doing this. And then tomorrow morning I'll be, you know, tagging cows and entering new cows that we just bought into the computer. So I get to have a bigger variation of the things I do in my day this way. No, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Like, okay, you you saw kind of maybe a little bit of the backside of the whole vet thing. You wanted to do this instead, but what is mm -hmm. this? What what is your job title or job description, and what is that average day? I mean, you started to talk yeah. about that already, but explain a little bit more. Like, what do they call you around here? Um, so I don't have a job title anymore, actually. So the first <laughs> the first year and a half of working here, I was a transition cow manager. So I was in charge of all of the cows from about three weeks before they had their baby until about three weeks after watching them through that period. I mean, that's when the animal is most immunocompromised. You need to focus the most on her and her health because so many mm -hmm. different things can go wrong. And then once you get out of that, most of the time they're pretty good to go. So I sp spent a lot of time applying all of that knowledge uh, from college and spending time with vets there, spending time with vets here, making sure that our cows were going through that period as well as they could, um, helping pull calves and all of the fun stuff that you get to do around around calving You're time. You're like a cow midwife. Yes. Basically. That's, that's what I would tell my friends that I did, actually, <laughs> is that I was a cow midwife. Yep. So I get to treat the sick ones and help the babies, help the moms, and do all of that. And then I decided that I wanted a little bit more of a challenge. Um, my senior year of college, I ended up with not enough classes to have a full schedule. So I tried to figure out, all right, what's going to be most beneficial for me? So I ended up getting a minor in economics which I think everyone should get a minor in economics if they have that available to them, just so you can understand a little bit more how the real world works money-wise. So I convinced my boss that I was qualified to help him run the business side of things. Mm. So he still makes all of the, the big decisions, but mm. he lets me in on those, those business meetings now and mm. looking at where we're spending our money, how we're spending our money, what we can save on, um, new projects that we're trying to figure out what we want to do. And yeah, if, yeah, no title. I just do whatever now. Um, <laughs> I spent a lot of time. We just started up an organic farm, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we've been milking there for three months now. Okay. And that has been an, an adventure for both of us. He has no idea you know, what the, the future goal is for the organics and if, how much we're going to have and whatnot. And neither of us have ever been an organic farmer before. So getting mm -hmm. through all of the hoops that you go through, working with the WSDA and getting everything certified, land, cows, whatever it is, and then purchasing animals. Because we didn't start this process until last fall and they're hard to find. It's hard to find enough organic cows to get mm. a dairy going. So, What does that mean, an organic cow, and how do you find that? <laughs> um, so a cow, in order to be considered fully organic from the third trimester of gestation, so not even born yet, just the last three months of, of development um, in utero, they have to be fed completely organic feed. They can't be treated with certain antibiotics or medications or whatnot. And then from then on, they have to be fed completely certified organic feed. Um, again, no treatments. And other than that, there are no huge differences between a conventional cow and an organic cow. How do you take care of an organic cow if it get sick say because you can't give them like antibiotics or mm -hmm. whatnot so how do you make sure they get well again if something happens so my favorite part about treating organic cows is that the majority of the like pain mitigation tools that we have in conventional dairy we can do same with the organic mm -hmm. cows so we can still use all of those those pain relief and anti-inflammation drugs 
Um, and then the rest of it is more homeopathic. So mm-hmm. you say you have a cow that's not feeling well, her stomach isn't doing what it needs to, instead of, you know, fighting something else, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to give her some yeast and see how that helps. So mm-hmm. actually the majority of the things that we do with our organic cows, we're already doing here on our conventional dairy. The only thing that we're not allowed to give them is a drug like Exceed, for example. If she gets an infection, you can't give her an antibiotic. But other than that, we do the majority of the stuff the same. So, so far, what do you feel about organic? You feel like it's a good idea? Is it that much different? I, I know people who've done both are like, yeah, they can definitely see some positives, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily as different as maybe some people think. I think it totally, de- the difference depends on how you're running your conventional dairy. So I know for us, there is not a huge difference whatsoever in what we do with those cows. Obviously, feed is different. Um, the The cost of organic feed is a lot higher. But from the looking at milk, for example, okay, yeah, organic is great because there's no antibiotics in the milk, but there's no antibiotics in your conventional milk either. We'll get fined and then our license taken away if we're putting antibiotics in that milk. So I think it's definitely like a niche market and being so close to Seattle and whatnot here, there are people who are looking for it. But I think if more people educated themselves on the differences between how the cow is actually treated in an organic farm versus a conventional farm, they'll see that there's not a big enough difference to necessarily justify spending Mm -hmm. that much more money on the milk. I personally wouldn't spend, you know, Mm -hmm. $5 for a gallon of milk organic knowing that the cows have been treated the exact same way. I mean, dairy farmers care so much about their animals. The organic thing doesn't change that. So you've seen that, you feel that's really true. I know a lot of people say that, mm-hmm. but you come from first the world of academia, getting your degree, and then coming to the farm and seeing it in real life. You feel like that really is true. Yeah, yeah. I think that the majority of the the differences that people want looking at organic milk, they're not actually getting that huge difference. They think they are because they aren't educated enough to know how mm-hmm. the conventional side works. And I I totally get it. I mean, I didn't grow up in dairy. I didn't start any dairy, anything until college. So I had no idea about any of it before then. And I think it had been a lot easier to have someone convince me like, oh yeah, this is necessary. Yeah. But now knowing everything that I have learned in the last six years, I don't think that I would personally think it was necessary. Well, even what you're saying just about, you know, conventional or organic, like farmers really care about their cows. Again, a lot of people say that, Mm -hmm. but you're saying that you've come from outside of the world of dairy. You've come through your college degree and now you're in the real world of, you know, working on a dairy day in and day out. And you can say that is actually true. Yeah. Yeah. How, to somebody who's a little skeptical about that, because there's a lot of people who are like, eh, I don't know, you know, they use buzzwords like factory farming or things like that. What would you say to those folks to, I guess, communicate a more accurate picture, at least what you've experienced? So I think I'm going to break this down in a way that most people don't. <clears throat> Excuse me. So if you're looking at your car, and all of the maintenance that needs to be done on your car. Are you going to make sure to change the oil, you know, every 5,000 miles? Are you going to make sure that your your brakes are checked, that your tires are rotated as often as they need to? You're going to do those things that need to be done in order to maintain your car so it can last you for a while. A cow is no different. For us, it is, some, you know, it's bringing us our livelihood. So we're going to do everything that we can to make sure that she has the things she needs to produce for us. So if you look at the amount of milk that, you know, they say happy cows come from California, uh, whether or not you you believe that a cow can be happy or not, or how to measure that, you know, but if we want to, for the sake of argument, say, okay, a happy cow, she's going to produce much more milk because she has all the factors that she needs in order to do that. In order for us to have the number of cows that we have and to be profitable, especially in today's market and the costs of dairy, we need to make sure that that cow is going to produce the 
the most she possibly can for us to cover her mm-hmm. costs and to make us profit. So we're going to, you know, change the oil and, and check <laughs> the, the brakes and everything. In and the do, car analogy. Yeah, 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 and do everything we possibly can for that animal. But getting as much milk as possible out of a cow to be profitable, does that push a farmer to push that cow too hard and do too many, you know, like, come on, produce more, do things that stress the cow out? And basically you're saying stressed out cow means less milk. Less so. milk. Yep. So these cows have been bred for generations and centuries now to be as, you know, produce as much milk as they can. Genetically, their bodies can produce this amount of milk. So if they genetically can get there, why not, you know, push them there through their environment? So they say like phenotype is genotype plus environment. So what you get from your cow is her genetic potential plus whatever environment you give her in order to reach her genetic potential. So we're not pushing them past that. We're just asking that they reach the best of their best. I mean, if they're producing enough milk that we can give them better and better and better feed and better and better, better technology to take care of them. So going from a, you know, conventional guy walking around with a shovel, pushing up feed, if the cows aren't producing at a certain level, you know, we can only afford to give the guy with the shovel, you know, he's pushing feed like three times a day. So they can't reach their feed all the time versus now they're producing at a higher level we can afford to buy a, a robot that pushes that feed up for them once an hour so they have constant access to that feed, and they're going to continue to do better. We had one of those robots join us on the podcast once last season. <laughs> Did it run into you? <laughs> well, I, we had Enrique Mendoza on, and yeah. they had the robot going, and we we were doing the podcast right out in the middle of like the loafing shed or whatever, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, beep. The, beep, 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 <laughs> yep. the robot starts and yeah pushed up the feet and it mm-hmm. makes sense because what you're explaining is like it's just chill out ability. be calm yep. don't be scared get as much to eat as you want and yep. just hang out and be as healthy and happy and relaxed as possible yep you get way more milk from a cow that that sleeps and eats all day than a cow that's running around doing crazy stuff so Yep, we want them. We want them as lazy and and fat as well, not fat, but <laughs> yeah. as lazy and eat yeah. as much as they yeah. can as possible. Comfy. So you said you didn't grow up in the world of dairy farming. What did not you grow up around? Um, my my fishing, pretty much. My dad, mm-hmm. uh, he sold fishing boats for the majority of my childhood. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up here. He grew up on the Sound and. That's what he did every weekend. That was his favorite thing to do. So if you're looking at like activities I did aside from school, fishing was probably one of the biggest ones. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. And then I swam competitively for mm. seven years. So once that started, I didn't have a life outside of school. I mean, yeah, yeah I went to practice in the morning and then so went what, to school. So when did you start that? Um, I started in fifth grade. Wow. Yeah. So it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it, but it was definitely looking at like physically pushing yourself. Yeah, you wake up at, I'd wake up at like 4.30 in the morning, feed my animals, and then, yep, go to practice, go to class. As soon as I was done with class and get back in that pool, I was probably at the pool for five hours a day, whether it be weights or swimming or whatever we were doing. And then after that, go home and do homework, feed the animals, and repeat. (laughs) Living that competitive swimming lifestyle, that's kind of, that sounds like dairy farming, you know, getting up super early, getting yep. to work first thing, doing another stuff in the middle of the day, coming back at it later. It definitely, You, you, you yeah. didn't know you were getting ready <laughs> to become a dairy farmer. Yep. It prepared me for a lot of things. I mean, I can't, I can't thank anything else in my life as much as I can thank that for preparing me. Yeah. For have, I mean, in this industry, you have to have a hard work ethic and be willing to put in those extra hours every single minute of every day. So it definitely helped with that. You didn't want to continue the swimming into college? I would have loved to. Um, I actually have a little bit of a, a shoulder problem now mm. from swimming. So, really? Yeah. So my body wouldn't let me continue mm. into college, but... 
I thought swimming was supposed to be like this low impact activity for people with, you know, joints that are getting creaky. Yeah. Like my knees are starting to, and I'm not even 40 yet. Swimming is an amazingly therapeutic activity for people. And it is, it is a very low impact sport and it's supposed to be very easy on the joints. And it is until you start when you're 10 and you Mm. swim for four hours a day for Mm. five years, then it's not so easy on your body. I mean, anything that you do for that long isn't going to be easy on your body. So So you're saying you overdid it. Yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) (laughs) And back to like, you grew up around fishing, your dad, Mm -hmm. did you say building or selling boats or whatever? Selling boats. Yeah. And you go out fishing, but you said you were feeding animals. So I'm seeing a little inkling of agriculture in there. (laughs) And really, fishing isn't that far from ag. It's also producing food from the earth, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually have an aunt who runs one fishing hatchery and the Mm. fish hatchery and then an uncle who runs another one. Really? Yeah. Um, But yeah, and as as far as the animals go... um, we started, I mean, we've had dogs our whole life, but I convinced my parents when I was a sophomore in high school that it was a good idea to buy me a horse. And that was the beginning of the end, I'm sure, for them <laughs> listening to me about animals. Um, so, yeah, I started with one. By the end of my junior year, I had two. Um, held it steady at two for a while. And then my sophomore year of college, I went up to three. And my mom decided she wanted one. So now we have four. And then for her birthday last year, my mom was like, you know, I really want a cow. So I brought her a cow home. Um, And then (laughs) I was like, well, if we're going to have one cow that we're not going to eat, like at least, you know, we could bring home some beef cows. So Mm -hmm. now we have four horses, a dairy heifer, don't know what we're going to do with her, and two beef cows. How did you manage to get a dairy heifer? Um, so I asked Jeremy, I was like, hey, can I take this heifer home for my mom for her birthday? And he said, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah. Things people don't normally ask their boss. Yeah. Yeah. Can I have this cow? (laughs) Okay, sure. (laughs) Go ahead. So when did farming start to like creep into your life then like when was the first time you thought like I might get into this farming world so my senior year of high school I actually transferred high schools so my my parents moved and I decided I I was close enough that I could have continued going to the the high school I started out in but I wanted a challenge so I moved out to Ferndale and started FFA because they had a contest that was veterinary science and it was something that I could use to prepare myself even better I thought for college and whatnot so that was the beginning of my farming thought process I guess looking at all my friends with all their show animals and whatnot and starting to learn a little bit more about agriculture because I didn't know anything at that point I went to a city school and I didn't have any friends who were farmers or doing any farming anything and it had been generations since my family had been farmers so uh, after that I went to Oregon State University for my freshman year of Mm. college which was a great adventure Um, and one of my friends was in the steerier program there so they buy a bunch of steers and heifers from um, producers around the area and then raise them up and you know we do it everything from formulating diets to feeding the animals and ultrasounding for back fat that was my favorite thing that we did mm. um, and through that she met some people in dairy club and they were like hey we just really need some help and when you're tr- looking at applying to vet school extracurricular activities are your best friend so I said, no, why not? You know, we'll add the steerier, we'll add the the dairy club stuff. And we got to do a lot of a lot of fun things. So when I transferred to WSU, I wanted to continue in the dairy club because it's something that I didn't know a whole lot about. And being from Whatcom County and having all of the dairies around me, I knew that it was an important thing to learn about. But I never saw myself, you know, being Mm -hmm. a, a dairy farmer for sure. 
So my, yeah, my first semester at WSU, I joined Dairy Club, and there were a few girls in Dairy Club that I immediately got along with. And I absolutely loved them. And they were like, hey, can we tell you about CUDS? And I was like, okay, sure, what's CUDS? Like, <laughs> CUDS is this, people call it a club. It's not quite a club, but we'll get into that later. Um, but moral of the story is we get to go out and we actually get to run this herd of dairy cows at the dairy. Uh, it's just students. We get to make all of the decisions, and it's a great way to you know learn more about farming. So I'm a very hands-on learner. I learn from just doing things. So yeah. I knew that if I wanted to learn more about large animal stuff in order to prepare myself for vet school, this was going to be the best way to do it. So I sent in an application. I was so nervous. I was like, I have no experience. There's no reason for these people to accept me. Um, and then interviewed and ended up getting in. And I started training January of my sophomore year of college. And I, I never thought that I would find a place that I loved as much as I loved being in that group. So there were 17 of us, which was quite a, quite a few for the club or whatever you want to call it, um, in the beginning. And it went from zero to a hundred really quick. I went from having no idea what I was doing to three weeks later, you know, we were pulling calves. We were giving IVs to down cows, helping feed cows, milking all of the cows. I went from nothing to being, you know, fully involved in the dairy farming, milking twice a week, if not more. Um, and I dove into it. I absolutely loved it. I actually spent the entire next summer there in Pullman mm -hmm. taking care of cows. I was milking every day um, when I wasn't milking, taking care of calves, taking care of cows, breeding cows. Um, I thought breeding would be a fun thing to add to my resume. So I ended up learning how to breed and it, it never stopped. So I went through, went through a lot of not only people growth and learning how to deal with people, but learning what farming is all about. And then after that experience, it was a lot easier to get people, you know, in the outside world to be like, okay, you know, a little bit about farming now, I guess we'll take <laughs> you seriously enough to, you know, talk to you about it. Yeah. Was there a moment where it dawned on you? Like I'm a farmer now? Um, <laughs> no, actually, even now I've been working on a dairy farm since May of 2019 and people are like, oh, so you're a dairy farmer. I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> and it's, it's not a, it's not a, a thing of shame or anything like that. I just, I focus so much on my job that I don't think about, you know, what it looks like to outside people. I absolutely love my job. And I, yeah, I guess, I guess I am a farmer. I just never, never think about it that way. What about all these people that you grew up with? Like you said, you didn't even really grow up with dairy farm kids or have, I mean, you lived in Whatcom County, so you saw it at least from afar. Like if you were driving from Ferndale to Bellingham or to Linden mm -hmm. or something, you would probably see a farm along the way. But other than that, you lived in a totally different world. What do the people from that world say now that you're a dairy farmer? So the majority of them I actually haven't heard from since my junior year of high school. Um, mm. The ones that I still talk to, half of them are just so curious because they have never been around any of it that mm. they ask questions and they are so open-minded and they're like okay well teach me then because mm -hmm. this is something that I don't understand and that's something that I really appreciate about my generation and I don't know if other generations are like that but I've noticed that the majority of people my age they want to ask the questions they want to figure it out so yeah most of them have been the ones that I still talk to have been very understanding. And instead of jumping to conclusions, if we want to go for an example, like when the whole uh, Fair Oaks thing happened mm -hmm. and that video came out and everyone was freaking out about the dairy industry, I had several people reach out and just ask, like, hey, is this what actually happens? Mm -hmm. Or is this just a bad egg? And Good for them because so was, many people, yes. including me, sometimes I've been guilty. I draw my conclusions about somebody or something or group based on something I see on social media or in the news. Of course. I mean, it's so easy to. And why would you yeah. not? And because 
the social media especially it gives you you know that instant gratification of like yes this is what's happening this is what's going on you don't need to dig you don't need to put that that effort in so well you still do it's an illusion right yes but you you get the you know the false sense of security of like i i'm getting all this information i don't need to dig further but the majority of the time the information you're getting is completely one-sided so the fact that these people were willing to go out of their way to ask is this actually what goes on is this actually what's happening was fantastic to me i haven't had anyone that i have known you know, in my previous pre-farming life, say anything negative mm. to me about about farming, which I really appreciate. Well, I think we're at this moment in our culture, our society, the food system, whatever you want to say, where people are suddenly more and more interested in this stuff again. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the problems in our system, both on the f- problems on the farming side and problems on the public side, I mean, it's that disconnect. And it's because I think a lot of people just didn't really care that much for a long time they kind of just yeah. trusted oh that's taken care of they don't worry about it and you know, family on a farm anymore and now it's like yeah what is the scoop on these farms and then they may see a farm and it's like that doesn't look like the farm that i saw when i was a kid yeah and what's going on here maybe this is suspicious and it's left it wide open for people with an agenda to come in and like we we're talking about on social media they're going to tell you the way it is mm-hmm. when you actually need to dig because that may just be an illusion. So with the people asking about the Fair Oaks situation, what did you tell them? So they, the majority of them had already come up with the conclusion themselves that this was kind of a, a one-time, not a one-time thing, but a special circumstance and that the majority of the farmers weren't hmm. at all like that because I think they, not only are they a lot like me and a lot like most people where they assume the best in whatever it is but they knew that if I were involved in this industry there was no way that 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 would be the normal because they know that they know who I am as a person and they know that I wouldn't be comfortable with you know treating animals that way as most people aren't right Mm -hmm. so they already had kind of come to that that conclusion on their own so they were asking you know like how common is this and what one question that I got that I didn't expect was how are things like this regulated in the industry? Like, you know, we have OSHA for, for protecting employees and that kind of stuff. Um, and L and I, but, but what do you have on the cow side that is supposed Mm -hmm. to protect the animals from being treated this way? So, I never expected a non-farmer person to ask me that because I never would have thought of that until I learned about those programs and those systems that are in place. And then it made me think about it. So the fact that they got there without me saying anything gave me some hope that, you know, eventually we'll, we'll get everyone educated on what actually happens on the farm and how to protect. So what is the answer to that? Like how, how, what does you know, what is the kind of safeguard to make sure that animals aren't being abused? So at least for, for us, um, we ship all of our milk to Dairy Gold and Dairy Gold has their own standards in the, in the farm program. Um, and then we actually get audited. Mm. We have people come out and look at it, um, for our organic farm. We just had one a few months ago and an inspector came out and he looked through all of our protocols to make sure that our treatment protocols, our pain mitigation protocols, everything that we do with the cows was up to industry standards. So how we moved, you know, cows that are not able to move themselves anymore, say, you know, she hurts her leg or she's down or whatever, mm-hmm. how we're going to move that animal, how we're going to treat every every condition that we that we reach. And pain mitigation was a huge focus for him. And then he was looking at housing, making sure that our our beds were up to standard and feed bunks were up to standard. And he went through absolutely everything. He looked at the cows to make sure that there were no signs of even um, like lesions on their on their hawks or whatnot from being in an uncomfortable environment. And mm-hmm. he looked at the way that they reacted to people to make sure mm-hmm. that they weren't you know you if you go treat an any animal poorly and then another person goes in there the animal's going to react a certain way right mm-hmm. so they went through and looked looked at everything just to make sure that 
that our animals were being treated the way they wanted them to. So they were looking at all of your protocols, but how do they know on any given day that you or somebody else you work with isn't like doing these awful things that these people at Fair Oaks were caught on camera doing, which, you know, back to that issue, the people that came and asked you questions and were skeptical at the from the get-go ended up being right because as we learn more about what happened, it was all a setup and the people hurting yeah. the animals were actually part of the group that was trying to smear this farm. So it was just an awful situation. But yeah. even in not knowing that, they were they were savvy to be skeptical and want to, to learn more. But, you know, okay, you get your protocols reviewed, but, like, who's policing that on a mm-hmm. daily basis? So... The, the inspector spent some time here watching, observing, but of course, you know, the guys know, the employees know when there's an outside person here, and of course they're going to be, you know, a little more careful, but in the the farm program and within the stuff we do for Dairy Gold, as we're, every Dairy Gold farm is required to do, we have a program that's called See It see it stop it say it something mm. something like that yeah. so um, similar to like see something say something like yeah there's something, something going like on that. yep so our guys actually monthly sign a piece of paper saying mm. that they have not observed any sort of cow abuse or mm. employee you know employee abuse yeah. from from managers or other employees um and they're encouraged. I mean, we have stuff posted everywhere of phone numbers they can call of people inside if they want to talk to someone, you know, within the company about something that they saw they didn't like. There's outside phone numbers. If they want to remain anonymous, they can mm. do that too. And that's part of our, you know, employee training when we bring people in so everyone knows, like, hey, we are not okay with this. If you see anything, it is not only your responsibility to you know, stop it if you feel comfortable, but you have to say something to someone. You have mm-hmm. to, you know, spread that information because if if we don't see it and it's one person doing it, yeah. we can't have eyes on everybody all the time, you know? So we so we there's like anonymous tip lines where they can make a tip yes. without revealing their identity so they don't have to fear like losing their job or being harassed by a fellow worker or something. Absolutely. Like, yeah, there is. And I think mm. that it's very important for them to know um, that they have that option and the majority of the I mean we haven't had anything here that I've heard of um, anytime recently but I imagine that would make things so much easier just knowing like okay my boss can't be mad at me for seeing this and saying something because I'm just going to call anonymously and then um, Dairy Gold will send somebody out to investigate and see what's going on. Well it's good to know that that exists because otherwise, I think people may assume, well, you know, we have see something, say something, but people may be too scared to speak out yep. because they could lose their job or, you know, face bullying or something like that in a bad situation. So that's like, no, anybody can do that. And they have, anybody has options to be heard and still be protected. Mm-hmm. We want to make sure that this is a safe place to work, not only for the employees, but a safe place for the animals to be as well. So anything that that they can do that makes them comfortable in reporting stuff. You know, that's that's the best way to go about it. So you said people have reached out to you with questions. Like they ta- they asked you about this whole fair life scandal or whatever you want to call it mm-hmm. of a few years ago. What other kinds of things do they ask? Like what are the hard questions that people will ask you? Um, I think the hardest one to answer is always the, you know, oh, how can you take babies away from their moms Mm. um for me that's i have a video of explaining why dairy cows are such horrible mothers because they are they they have been genetically Mm. you know we've bred them over and over again for certain uh traits and being a good mom is not one of them they Mm. are absolutely horrible at taking care of their own babies so i think explaining that has been the most difficult thing to do because you know people are used to okay yeah well you know the mom takes care of the right. baby even with you know puppies and kittens or whatever they right. they stay with the mom for eight weeks so I think that'd be the most difficult question I think a lot of that goes back to people kind of superimposing human thoughts and emotions onto animals which 
can lead to actually some bad outcomes. And we see that, I think, in the pet world, even leading to like animal abuse, essentially, where people think that their animal thinks like them. When their animal totally responds to things differently and sees the world differently, if you miss that, you you miss the whole thing. And you see it with with dogs, you know, people treating their dogs like they're babies. So if your if your three year old child is out on a playground and bites another kid, mm-hmm. are you gonna need to put your dog down da- or your your child down? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. But if your three year old dog bites another dog, or you know, your three year old dog bites attack. a child, you're going to have to put that animal down because it's a dog. So mm-hmm. if they're going to be treated differently in that type of situation, why would you not train them in the way that they understand? They're, I mean, they still go off of their instincts. They don't have the complex brain power that a human has to discern from, okay, this is my instincts, but I'm not going to go with it. They're purely an, an instinctual animal. Mm-hmm. So I think the people who you know, train their dogs like they're a child, you're going to end up in a dangerous situation because mm-hmm. you're not playing off of that animal's instincts. You're not training it off of what it understands. And I think sometimes you make that animal less happy than they could be too because they don't necessarily know where they fit or what their boundaries are and then why you're upset at them sometimes and not, not other times when it's not clear to them at their level of understanding. It's like it's actually mean to an animal sometimes to over baby them yep i would agree and then and you look at people who are like oh i'm going to i'm going to feed my dog i'm going to make a raw diet and i'm going to choose what this dog's eating not only are those animals generally malnourished because people don't know dogs don't need the same things people do they need Mm -hmm. a, a very different diet but then carnivores. You, yes, exactly. But yeah. then you look at people who are like, oh, I just want to share everything with my dog. And they give their dog table scraps. Now your dog's 30 pounds overweight. You think <laughs> that its joints can take that? I mean, if mm-hmm. you put it in perspective, that's a 400-pound person, 500-pound yeah. person. Like the, the dog is not built to be that big. Yeah. Yeah, I, like people whose dogs are chronically overweight and they just can't seem to get them back to a healthy weight, I, I, that just boggles my mind. Like, yeah. why can't just feed them less? Make exactly. sure that they don't. I wish sometimes that someone could do that for me so I could lose <laughs> weight more effectively, <laughs> me right? Me too. <laughs> like, geez, you know, that would be, so, that's the big problem is I have access to food all the time and, you know, I overeat too much. Why would that happen with an animal? Yep, exactly. Because you're, you're overfeeding them. Just yeah. it's it's crazy. Your dog, who was mm-hmm. trying to uh, invade our yes, podcast a little bit earlier, <laughs> at least with his voice. So you are a farm worker, mm-hmm. and that issue, the issue of farm workers and how they're being treated, has been in the news a lot. And yes. There's been some controversies, and recently there's been a big debate over overtime and and that stuff. You know, farm workers in the past, by state law, had been exempt from getting overtime wages. The state Supreme Court now says, oh, um, farm workers shouldn't be exempt from that. What's your thought on all of that stuff as a farm worker yourself? So I'm going to go off of when I started, I was a salary because mm-hmm. I, it made more sense as like a manager to, to classify it under there. But I'm going to speak for all of our guys here because I've had a lot of in-depth conversations with the majority of our workers just because I mm-hmm. want to know what they're thinking about all of this. Yeah. And we've done our best to keep it, you know, working the same way for them. But these guys, they want to be working six days a week. When we take them back to five days a week, the majority of them are unhappy and not about the pay difference, but because they, they in their culture, they want to be working mm. six days a week. So adding overtime on top of that in order for us to continue these, this farm, because in all reality, the majority of dairy farms, as an example, if they're paying all of their employees the same wages that they were paying before the overtime laws came out, plus the additional overtime, 
they're not going to last more than a year. I mean, there's just not enough of a profit margin to cover that much additional cost. Mm. So what the majority of people have had to do is, all right, I'm going to knock all of my guys back down to minimum wage Mm -hmm. so they can work, you know, 40 hours of their minimum wage week. And after that, they'll continue working their like 60 hours a week or whatever. Um, And so that extra 20 hours, they'll get time and a half. And looking at it that way, the majority of our guys are making, you know, a a touch more money Hmm. than they were before. Um, But the majority of them said, you know, we wish that it could have stayed the way that Hmm. it was. Um, For the guys who got their hours cut, I mean, there are so many places that can't afford to even do what, what, um, what we did. And they're having to, you know, lay off employees or limit their hours to 40, 40 hour weeks. And you look at these, you know, these families who are reliant on their farm jobs and they want to be working on farms. And now they can't afford to be in the industry they want to be in and working the jobs that they want to work because they're limited at a 40 hour week and they're not making what they were at a 60 hour week. So farm workers aren't just making like minimum wage ish already. You were saying they're quite a bit above that yeah or at least were with the rules the way they had been i believe from the the farmers that i've talked to um not a single one of them was paying minimum wage for their employees before this overtime ruling came out Mm -hmm. they were all well above minimum wage even starting out so even like starting milkers were being paid more than uh, minimum wage and now that's all different i mean we've heard from multiple different farm workers who are frustrated about this how did it change your world did that change at all i've heard you know there have been some other rule changes that have made salary harder to do that kind of comes and goes and i all in all it, it sounds like everybody has had less flexibility because of the changes yeah i think that it's definitely made everything a little more difficult um we had to completely restructure how we're paying our employees, um, how often we're paying our employees, and explaining, and all of that happened at once. So trying to explain in a language that you're not quite fluent in um, why the change happened, what is going to be happening now, and explaining that like, okay, yeah, now you get more checks than you did last time. There's there's one more or two more checks that you're getting in a year. So, yes, your check looks smaller, but that's because it's split into a bunch more pieces than it would have been before. And just explaining that whole situation has been very difficult. I know pretty much every guy here is frustrated and they don't understand why. Yeah, they're just like, what the heck? Like, everything was going fine. At least this is what some guys said to me. Everything was going fine and then these changes and I'm just like, I just want to work and I'm confused by... What's yeah, going on yeah. with numbers and checks and they don't yeah, they don't hours. understand why the legislation was necessary because they think that everything was going well for them before this and this has actually been a huge hindrance on all of mm-hmm. them. And we're we're lucky to have not been yet in the position that I know like Jason and all of those guys are in the the retroactive mm-hmm. um, pay which I that's if you want to talk about something that I don't understand how you could you know be following the law for years and then Mm -hmm. the law changes so now people are trying to go back and say oh well because this law has changed you need to pay all of these back wages like if they change a speed limit on a road Mm -hmm. from 35 to 25 if you've driven 35 miles an hour on that road for the last three years, are you going to have to pay? That's what the sign said. Are you going to have to pay all those speeding tickets? Because when it was a 35, you know, you were going 35, now it's a 25. That I've been having a hard time wrapping my head around some of that too. And recently somebody said, it's kind of like the minority report. Have you seen that movie? Mm -mm. Where like essentially, and I'm going to, it's complex how the whole plot works, but basically people are getting, in trouble for things that they haven't even done yet. Okay. Because it's like looking into the future of like you're going to be a criminal. So. Oh, interesting. You are restricted or punished based on what's happening in your future. It's basically that. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's exactly what it is. So that mm-hmm. was like, whoa, that is kind of creepy because that was a creepy movie. Yeah. Um, how that all played out in society. It's it's a frustrating situation from my perspective because it's not really helping the people that it's supposed to help. And that's, I think, the most frustrating. Yep, exactly. When people's jobs are at risk, like that's the most important thing to me, to farm workers, to just about anybody. Mm-hmm. Like we can, you know, argue back and forth and, you know, debate on, you know, overtime or how much we get paid or what the job looks like or any of those things. But first, the most important thing I care about is having a job. And I know there are a lot of dairies that are like, if this all happens this way, we're going to have to shut down. Yep, yep, exactly. Expecting any business, no matter what the business is, to pay wages for the last three years that they shouldn't have had to pay. Or even if you don't want to go into that, having to pay extra wages on three years that have already happened, Mm -hmm. that's going to stress any business out, especially when it's all going to hit at one time, right? That's going to be a huge payout for anyone. And then you look at an industry like dairy farming where the profit margin is just minuscule the majority of the time, especially with all of the volatility in the market, looking at, you know, the trade wars and and COVID and how everything Mm -hmm. affected it. This is not a good time for anyone to be in that situation. What's it been like coming into the farming world from the outside? Is it hard to find your place or feel like you fit in? So I I know it can be kind of like this big farming click, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got pretty lucky in having an amazing boss. So he has brought me into all of it just like I was family and Mm. introduced me to a whole lot of people. There were a few guys that we work with up north in Whatcom County um, that I was friends with before I got into the farming stuff. And they are now also in, like their parents might have been in it or something, but they weren't in it at the time. They were just high schoolers. So now, you know, falling back on those friendships yeah. and in public situations and then relying on my boss to introduce me to people, it's been a lot easier than I expected it to. I know there are a lot of people who are like, ooh, you're going to go join the, the dairy industry in <laughs> Whatcom County and you're not Dutch and you're, <laughs> you're a 21-year-old female. Yeah. Like, good luck with that. But I have not had a single problem with it and I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, what's it like being a woman? in that world too because it i mean there are more and more women and even young women like yourself involved but it's still a male dominated culture for the most part right yeah and honestly i i was nervous about it i was extremely worried about it and i haven't had anyone treat me differently because Mm. i am a woman or not take me seriously there are definitely people that when i'm talking to them i will add things I learned in school, you know, like I will back up any of my statements with scientific fact or, well, this is what I have done in the past just to like add that little bit of experience to show like Mm -hmm. I'm not just, you know, I actually have put my time in and it has, I think it has helped, but I haven't had any sort of negative um, reception into the industry, which I really, really appreciate. Well, that's really good to hear. Because I know for some people it can seem really intimidating. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that intimidation happens before it happens in, in yourself, feeling intimidated before you actually interact with people and find out whether they're going to be, you know, think of you as less than or treat you like less, like you're less than. Yep. But when you actually go through it, it's interesting to hear, you know, what is the truth? How are people being treated? How open is this world? Uh, open-minded are people and... and treating people well so that's it's good to hear that because not everyone says that you know yeah. some and particularly women particularly young people you know men or women and feel kind of belittled like that while they even like what you're saying like well I learned this in college you know you, it's no secret the farming world is aging most of the farmers out there are getting older yeah. there's fewer young people getting into it but those of us who are around it that are can say things like, oh, yeah, well, I learned this in college. And it's like, 
college. What do they know there? Like, this is the real world. This isn't a classroom. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one of the major reasons that I wanted the experience that I got during my internship and why I ended up in the job that I'm in now is because I didn't feel like the, the textbook things that I had learned in college were going to be applicable enough, you know, for the the other farmers and learning real world what's actually happening and being mm-hmm. able to apply the things that I learned and the things that we were taught and look at them critically because that's the main thing that they teach you in college right is how to critically think about everything mm-hmm. so having that skill set now and looking at everything both real world and textbook you can kind of be like okay yeah textbook says this but that's kind of bs we're gonna <laughs> ignore that right. or yeah, this is something that actually needs to be implemented. We've seen the science behind it. And if we can implement it in real world, you know, it'll improve things. So looking at the majority of the, you know, interactions I've had with farmers or, or whoever in the industry, looking at it from a, I want to learn, but I also know that I'm not, you know, a big idiot has helped. <laughs> For sure. Well, we've talked a few different times about people not really knowing much about how their food is produced anymore mm-hmm. and people with an agenda sometimes taking advantage of that and spreading things around that aren't true. What would you say is the most important thing that, that you would want people to know who maybe don't know? And, and maybe they're critical or maybe they're just like, eh, I don't know about particularly how dairy food and it's not I mean we talk about milk and yeah that's where it starts but there's so much of what we eat that comes from dairy what should people know about it that's there's so many things um I think you know so when you're when you're in biology in high school and whatnot you learn about the Krebs cycle and like watershed cycles and all of that I think that everyone should learn about the environmental cycle and how farming Mm. comes into that. So whether it be potatoes, raspberries, dairy farming, what have you, how not only the food is produced, but how the food is produced and how that affects the environment around them and how that nutrition side, how that food can benefit you. So if we're going to look at dairy, um, look at how, the cows and the dairies affect, you know, the water systems around you, the soil systems around you, uh, the atmosphere around you, and then looking at, okay, so the milk comes out of a cow, and then what happens? You know, it mm-hmm. goes through uh, all of the piping to get into the tank, is either chilled on the way or is cold in the tank, gets on a truck, goes, it's tested. Just the main things it's tested for, you know, bacteria, antibiotics, and then everything that happens within the processing plant in order for them to get their gallon of milk, their butter, their whatever, whatever they're, they're getting. And then from that, nutritionally, what that can do for you. So yeah. why is milk good for you? What does it do for you? Um, why is it an important part of a human's diet? And I realize that that's a lot of information. Mm-hmm. But I think if you can give everyone that big picture of you know start to finish, people will be a lot less critical of what's going on because they'll, mm-hmm. they'll know a little bit more. And I, I personally think that information is the best way to get through to anyone is just to teach them about it. So if we could add that into elementary school or middle school or high school education, yeah, what have you, I think that that would be the most impactful thing that we could do. Kids learning more about where their food comes from. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm a big believer in that as well. Because that's, I mean, those are formative years to be thinking about that. And I think maybe that's what, like I was talking about earlier, maybe that was what was missing when it was like the 80s and the 90s and we kind of didn't really pay attention to a lot of this stuff. At least I can speak for that time period because that's during my lifetime. Yeah. But it's like we kind of didn't pay attention and now everybody's all of a sudden starting to pay attention again. But so much time has passed and they've gotten so distant from it they don't really know anymore. Yeah. And so how do we exactly. reconnect to that? I mean, that's why, why we're doing this podcast, too, so we can hear real conversations from people who are doing it. Like, okay, there are real people behind this milk that I'm, or cheese or butter or ice cream that I'm eating. 
Yeah, and like I don't know how you know other people's kids are when they come home from school, but when I was a kid coming home from school, and even in college, I'd call my mom. I would get so excited about certain things that I learned that I would just have to share. And I know that that would be something that I would want to go home and share. So if you're teaching these kids this in-depth circle of Mm -hmm. the circle of dairy or whatever you Mm want to call it and teaching them about farming, then they will be able to go teach their parents about it because they'll be excited about it. It's something new that they learned. And because it's different from everything that you learn in elementary school, it's immediately applicable to their life you know that's that's what's in their fridge so I think for the most part kids are going to be super excited about learning that kind of stuff they're going to go home they're going to be like mom dad guess what I learned today (laughs) and fill them in and then you're you know you're teaching two generations at one time yeah for sure well maybe you're gonna have to be an ag educator someday I have had a lot of people tell me that I need to be an ag teacher actually my ag teacher from Ferndale has asked me many times. He's like, so are you ready to teach yet? Are you ready to teach yet? <laughs> and you're like, I'm too busy farming. Some of my, one of my uh, friends that was actually in CUDS with me, she's an ag teacher now over in OMAC, and mm. she uh, is, she's doing such a great job. It is so rewarding for me to see people that I was in high school with now teaching these kids and doing an amazing job and just knowing that, okay, we do, you know, we have a, we have a chance. There's a, there's a hope that we can teach these kids some, some good things about agriculture and hopefully pass this along and have them pass it along to their kids and continue the circle. That's awesome. Well, thanks for being on the podcast, sharing your story coming from outside the farming world into the farming world and taking it by storm. It's it's definitely a a unique side of the story. I know the majority of people right now are going the opposite way. You know, they start their life in farming and they go off to college and they do something different. Um, This is... This is not common, but I... You're doing it backwards. I, love, I, am, I know, right? I'm doing it backwards, <laughs> but I have loved every second of it. So I'm, I'm very thankful to be here. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 